Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Here's Pastor Mike with the message, Our Good Shepherd. All right, so as Peter began to wind down this first letter, the Holy Spirit led him to talk about the topic of shepherding, shepherding. And so Peter addressed the elders of all these churches and he said in verse two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And then just a couple verses down in verse four, Peter said to the elders, and when, not if, but when the chief shepherd appears, does anybody have any idea who the chief shepherd is? Jesus Christ, when the chief shepherd appears, elders, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so Jesus is the chief shepherd, and then the elders, pastors, overseers, whatever term you wanna use, they are the under shepherds. In essence, Peter told these men that one day the chief shepherd's gonna come, and that, that means that you guys really need to, as under shepherds, shepherd his flock very well. His flock. Now, the flock of Christ is obviously the bride of Christ, which is the church. And according to Acts 20, verse 28, the church was bought, paid for, purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. And so the church belongs to Christ. My wife and I and our three daughters came here 17 years ago. We started this church in the living room of Lee and Julie Holly, and for 17 years, I don't remember one time, God forgive me if I ever said it, but I don't remember one time ever referring to all of this as my church, because it's not my church. I didn't die on the cross, and I didn't pay for your souls with my blood. Jesus Christ loves you, you're his bride, he died for you, he rose again, and you belong to him. The church is Christ's, it belongs to him. Now I want you to follow the logic of my thinking as we start in Psalm 23, but then end the end of the message in 1 Peter 5, one through four. Because here, here's what you need to know, here's the big idea. Before a pastor or elder can shepherd a church well, he needs to be shepherded well himself. And to make this applicable to everybody here, by the way, welcome everybody who's watching, to make it applicable to everybody, listen to this, before any Christian can shepherd or give oversight well. Maybe that's a parent shepherding their kids. Maybe that's a life group leader shepherding their small group. Maybe that's um, a boss shepherding their employees. Before any Christian can shepherd or give oversight well, they need to be shepherded well. The truth is you cannot lead well until you've been led well. The truth is you cannot give what you do not have. And so if you were to come to me after two days of not drinking anything and you're really thirsty and you say, Pastor, can I have a drink? And I said, sure. And I handed you this empty water bottle? <laughs> what would you think about me? I mean, how cruel is that? Well, spiritually speaking, if you come to me for spiritual counsel or spiritual guidance or spiritual ministry, and ladies and gentlemen, I have not been shepherded, I have not been led, I have not been filled up, well, guess what? When you come to me, I'm not gonna have anything to give 
to you. In order for me to lead well, I've gotta be led well. In order for us to give, you and I need to be filled up. And so who in the world is supposed to primarily shepherd us and lead us and fill us up? Well, here's the answer right here. Jesus Christ. How many of you guys really believe he's real? He's alive and he's real. His presence is here right now. And he said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. And so one of the best places in all of scripture to see the Lord as our good shepherd is Psalm chapter 23. The 23rd Psalm is a wonderful place to go for you and I to learn how to be personally shepherded by the good shepherd. And so before, again, we're getting to 1 Peter 5, we're gonna meditate on Psalm 23. So if right now, if you're looking at Psalm 23, can you say amen? amen? All right, so here we go. David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me into the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I, I will dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. King David, who was once a shepherd himself, who authored this psalm, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Here's what you need to know. David viewed himself as one of the sheep in the good shepherd's flock, and of course, he viewed the Lord as his good shepherd. David treasured that relationship. And you know, believers throughout the ages have treasured that relationship. Did you know the early Christians treasured that relationship. How many of you guys have ever been to the catacombs outside of Rome? Let me see your hands if you've ever been there. It's on my bucket list. One person, well, two persons. I was, someday I, I'd really wanna go, but, but basically um, in the second century, what happened was Rome, being led by pagans, governed by pagans, they wouldn't let Christians bury the dead in the city limits. And so the Christians had to go outside of the city of Rome, and so what's been discovered are what's called the catacombs. That's these passageways, basically cemeteries, where the Christians buried their dead from the second century AD until the Edict of Milan, Constantine in the fourth century. And one of the, the reason I bring this up is because one of the most common motifs or paintings on the walls of the ancient catacombs depicts Jesus as our good shepherd. And we, the church, as the lamb on his shoulders. And so David viewed the Lord like that. And the early Christians viewed the Lord like that. And 2,000 years later, guess what? The church is still alive and well, we're here, and the Lord wants us to view him like that as well. This is an accurate representation of who the Lord really is. Psalm 23 will help you understand the heart of God toward you. And so we're gonna break it down verse by verse, just some quick comments on each of the verses. But Psalm 23, verse one, David, the former shepherd, now the king, says, the Lord 
is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so the first thing you see, if you're taking notes, in the psalm, the opening words of the psalm, is this concept of relationship. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And so again, David, who was once a shepherd, he had a personal relationship with the Lord. It wasn't just a head knowledge with David. It wasn't just that he knew some theological or religious facts in his head. No, David had this personal relationship with the Lord and that's why he could say that the Lord is my shepherd. And so I really want you guys to understand that all the amazing promises that we see in Psalm 23, that they're contingent on that one word, my. Can you guys say the word my? The Lord is my shepherd. In other words, if you can't say to the Lord, you're my shepherd. And if the Lord can't say to you, you're my sheep, then the rest of the psalm doesn't even apply to you. You can't even claim the promises. You gotta enter into a relationship with the good shepherd. Jesus said in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And so the question right off the bat today is do you know the Lord? And the good news is if you're not part of his flock, you can turn to Christ genuinely in repentance and faith and you can become one of his sheep today. He's always there, arms open wide. And then we see the concept, not just of relationship, but in the latter part of verse one, we see the concept of provision, provision. And so David said, the Lord is my shepherd, listen to this, I shall not want. In other words, I shall not be in need. Jesus said in Matthew 6, he said, seek first, can you guys say the word first, please? This is important, because if you're an apathetic Christian, if God is on your back burner, if you're living for yourself, this verse doesn't apply to you. He said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, Jesus is talking to a crowd that's been freaking out about how are we gonna make it? How are we gonna live? What are we gonna eat? What are we gonna drink? What are we gonna put on? And the Lord said, hey, can I have your attention, please? Seek first. Put me first. Seek first the kingdom of God, and here's my promise. I'll take care of you. I'll meet all your needs. That's a promise of the Lord. Psalm 37, 25, David later said, quote, I have been young and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. And so if you're a sheep, you should celebrate the fact that the Lord is your shepherd and he's not gonna meet all your greeds or all my greeds, but he has promised to meet all of our, what's the word? Needs. Look at verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. And so we see in the first part of verse two this concept of rest. David said, he makes me lie down. Does anybody need some rest in your life? Philip Keller in his book, 
a shepherd looks at Psalm 23, he said that sheep, he studied like crazy, wrote a whole book on it, he said that sheep won't lie down if they're facing fear, friction, flies, or famine. If those things are bothering the sheep, they absolutely will not lie down, they won't go to sleep. But when the shepherd comes and he addresses those problems on behalf of the sheep, he says in his book, then they'll lie down, then they'll get some rest. Listen to the words of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. He says, come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Does anybody need some rest? I'm talking about some spiritual rest, some soul rest. Here's what I've noticed in my own personal walk with the Lord. At the times when I sense God's presence the strongest, the times when I really get some soul rest are the times when I do what Jesus said, come to me and I go to him. It's the times in Mark 6 verse 31 where Jesus said to his disciples, and I quote, come apart to a quiet place, a secluded place, and rest a while. See, it's when I get away to that quiet place, to that secluded place, that the good shepherd comes and he deals with my fear, and he deals with my friction, and he deals with my worries and my doubts so that I can get some rest. You say, Pastor, you deal with fear, worry, and doubt? Yeah, I'm a human being just like you. And so I need to go to the Lord because I can't solve those problems on my own. But here's what I know, 1,000% of the time, he's a faithful shepherd and he always comes and he always deals with those things so we can get some rest. The question is, do you have a quiet place? Do you have a special place? And are you accessing that place, spending that time in prayer with the Lord so he can minister to you? Because here's what I know, if you're listening, say amen. If we don't come apart, eventually we'll fall apart. Just a matter of time. If we don't get into that special place, that secluded place, that quiet place, and allow the Lord to lead us, and allow the Lord to shepherd us, and allow the Lord to fill us, what's gonna happen is not only are we not gonna have anything to give to anybody, but eventually we're just gonna fall apart. And so hear me, the storms of life are coming and so many Christians are not prepared because they're not walking in that relationship with the Lord and that is not God's heart for you. God's heart for you is more like this. He wants to fill you up, he wants to love you, he wants you to be like David and enter into that relationship with him. And so get to that special place of prayer every single day take at least one day off every single week. I'm not talking about legalism, I'm talking about life. We're talking about not the law of the Sabbath, but the principle of the Sabbath. You need to take that day and just refresh and get the rest that you need. We see the concept of sustenance in the second part of verse two. David said he makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters. And so grass, 
and water. It's a sheep's sustenance, all right? So what's our sustenance as God's sheep? Jesus told us, everybody please look at me. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by how many words? Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so when you go to that special place of prayer and you're pouring out your heart to the Lord, make sure you're also opening the Bible and pouring over its pages so that you can receive that spiritual food and drink, that sustenance that you need. How many of you guys have ever heard the term no Bible, no breakfast? Have you ever heard that before, anybody at all? Yeah, we got one person, two, three, four. All right, and so that's so important, right? Somebody says, that's legalistic. Well, I'm not talking about legalism, I'm talking about life. <laughs> no Bible, no breakfast. What's gonna last longer, your soul or your body? This is soul food right here. And it's so much better than bacon and eggs. Right, so no Bible, no breakfast. You can put it this way, no prayer, no pancakes. And if you're not into carbs, you're into keto, you like your meat, no supplication, no steak, all right? So whatever you wanna, however you wanna do it, you need the word of God. Um, last week, I spent so much of the week because I'm in school and um, I had to get my final exam done, study for that, and then I had to write a paper, and I wrote a paper called The Theanthropic Book. The, theos, God, anthropic, man. And so the Bible is a theanthropic book. What does that mean? That the Bible is 100% God's word, but also 100% man's word in one book. Just like Jesus Christ is 100% God and 100% man in one person, so the Bible was 100% God's word and 100% man's word in one book. We don't worship the Bible, we worship the living word, but we thank God for his written word. It is our spiritual meat. Verse three, David goes on to say, he restores my soul and he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And so if you're taking notes, we see this whole idea, not just of rest in verse two, but now he wants to expound on it, and now we're talking about spiritual refreshment. He says, God, you restore my soul. Restore my soul. I hope you're hearing the heart of the Savior, his heart towards you. So many people have the wrong view of God. And Psalm 23 is just precious, precious way to understand who God really is. And, and so in Acts chapter three, um, Peter, he's preaching, right? This is post-Pentecost. He's full of the spirit. He's full of boldness. And he's talking to a crowd of Jewish people. And he tells them, you need to repent. And then he says, quote, so that your sins will be blotted out and times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord. And so repentance is absolutely involved in a genuine conversion experience. If there's no repentance, there's no conversion. That's what he's saying to this Jewish crowd because he wants them to experience times of refreshing from the Lord. But as Christians, most of us are Christians, right, who've already been converted to Christ, the application for us is this. If we wanna experience ongoing spiritual refreshment, we need to live lives of repentance. 
We need to keep short accounts with the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, repentance is so much better than always staying stuck in our sin. Did you guys know that sheep are notoriously dumb? It's so interesting to me that God would pick sheep as a metaphor for his people. But listen, as dumb sheep, this is what we sometimes do. We get stuck in the rut of our sin. And God loves us. He's full of mercy. And so he pulls us out and he's, you know, he, he, he restores us. But what do we do? <laughs> Boom. We go right back to our sin and we get stuck once again. Now if we, is that dumb or what? Right? And so if that sheep would have just avoided the crevice, everything would have been fine. But because he got too close to it again, somebody hear me, because he's jumping around it, because he's flirting with it, because he's playing with it, he got stuck again. Listen, I know what tempts me. I know very well that I'm living in human flesh, and I know I still have a sin nature until the rapture, and I know exactly what tempts me, and you, if you're honest, you know what tempts you. And so let's not be dumb. Let's avoid whatever that is, like the plague. Let's not play with it, let's not flirt with it, not, let's not even get close to it. In Proverbs chapter five, around the eighth verse, Solomon tells his son, speaking about the harlot that sells her body, he says, son, don't even go near her house. Stay away, there's a temptation there. Don't even go down her street. Avoid it like the plague. Jesus said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off. Now we believe in this church, and we're proud of it, that this is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. And we use what's called the historical, grammatical, literal interpretation. Not allegorical. We use the historical, grammatical, literal interpretation. But at the same time, we understand that this book is filled with literary devices. It's filled with metaphors. It's filled with symbolic language. When Jesus said, pluck your eye out or cut off your hand, he wasn't speaking literally. And yet some in church history have cut off their hands and plucked out their eyes. No, it's not what Jesus, that's not the heart of the shepherd of Psalm 23. What is he saying? What he's saying is sin is dangerous. Sin will get you stuck. And so avoid it. Use extreme member, um, measures, whatever it takes, but man, avoid it. It's so much better to receive times of refreshing from the Lord than to stay stuck in our sin. And then we see this whole concept of guidance in the second part of verse three. David says that he leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. He leads me, that means guidance. So we're under the new covenant, we're in the age of grace. What are the two primary ways that the good shepherd leads his flock today? I submit to you, number one, it's through the word of God. Right, Psalm 105 verse 19, I'm sorry, it was Psalm 119 verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Why? To give us direction, to give us guidance. But then I would submit to you, number two, the way the Lord guides his sheep today is through his spirit. Number one, his word. Number two, his spirit. It says in Colossians chapter three, verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. The peace 
of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, the Spirit of Christ. Let it rule, the word in the Greek, umpire, guide, call the shots for your life. This will give you general principles. The Spirit will give you specific guidance. My wife and I like to hike, we like to ride bikes, so we sometimes go over to Oxbow, right down the street here, and we'll go for walks, and um, the last time we were there, it was the rainy season, and uh, we're trying to get back to that river, whatever that river's called back there, and we're going through, and the woods are getting thicker and thicker and thicker, and there's puddles, and all of a sudden, we can't even see, where's the path, it's gone. And then, of course, we look up, and you guys have probably been there before, and what do we see on the trees? Marks. And so, oh, okay. And so as long as we follow the marks, we make it back to the river, and it was a beautiful thing. The two marks, the way God guides us today, is number one, the mark of his word, and then number two, the specific leading of the Holy Spirit of God. And so all the big decisions that I've made in my life, coming here 17 years ago and starting this church, that was because of the specific leading of the Holy Spirit. His peace overwhelmed me as I thought about, should I go plant a church? I knew he was guiding. Later on about the school, very clear from the Lord, start the school. And not only that, um, that master's degree that I'm one class away from finishing, it was so clear from the Lord that you need to do this. Listen, I wouldn't do all that work. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, there's no way I would spend all that time studying and studying and studying and understanding these concepts unless the Lord, the good shepherd, led me. And I have to remind myself every time, it gets really hard. The Lord led me to do this. So we're gonna push forward. And then even last year, I remember um, as we were uh, getting ready to bring people back and, and the Lord spoke very clear. Four services. Why? So people could spread out and feel comfortable as they're coming back. And so we started an 8.30 uh, service. And that was last year. This year, at some point, we're, we're, we're gonna have to put the chairs back. I don't know when, but we're waiting on the Lord because it's his church, ladies and gentlemen, and you're his sheep. And he wants to lead you specifically as well. But you gotta be like David. You gotta passionately pursue that relationship with the Lord. Verse four. I said I was gonna make quick comments on these verses, sorry. All right, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Notice he didn't say I will fear no evil, because I'm David, and man, I can fight, I, I'm, I'm really good. No, he said, no, you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If you're taking notes, we see now the next concept of peace in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death. In other words, during that intimidating situation that you're gonna face this week, during that dangerous, potentially dangerous situation, during um, that situation that's threatening to you, that relationship, right, that got off track or went off the rails or this person who's mad at you or whatever it might be in your context, listen, as you're facing that, you need to know that you don't have to be afraid because God, the good shepherd, is with you. And you can have peace right in the midst of that valley, right in the midst of that threatening situation. 
Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives, give I to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And so God's heart, Psalm 23, God's heart towards us, he doesn't want our hearts to be troubled, he doesn't want our hearts to be afraid. But here's what we gotta do. I think Pastor Will talked about this last week, right? Um, And by the way, thank God for an awesome message last week as he did a great job exegeting Philippians 4, 6 through 9, talked about anxiety and supplemented it with some good sound principles from psychology. It was excellently done. But I think he talked about this, is, is what, you do, what you do when you're in that valley of the shadow of death, when you're facing these difficult situations, is you really get focused on that. And you lose focus on the fact that the good shepherd is with you in that valley. It's kind of like the mom, right, who's got the baby, and the baby's crying and crying and crying. Does the mom love her baby, yes or no? Yeah, and she's trying to soothe it. She's trying to say, I'm right here, it's gonna be okay. But that kid is so focused, right, on their hunger or their poopy diaper or the fact that they slammed their finger in the cabinet or whatever it might be, and they're not focused on the mom, they're focused on the difficult situation. And the Lord, for some of you, you're facing this right now, you're going through it right now. And but the Lord's got you. He seems a million miles away, why? Because you're focused on the negative stuff. And you just turn your head. See the Savior's there, he's smiling. And he says, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Get your focus on me, I'll give you peace and I'll give you protection. The last part of verse four, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Did you know the Lord is willing to fight on your behalf? The good shepherd, right? He's got this club and he's got this crook. You guys seen the staff, right, with the big crook? He's got the club, why he's got a club? Because he loves the sheep and if a wolf approaches, man, if he's a hireling, he's gonna run away and let there be blood everywhere. But if he's a faithful shepherd, he's taking out that club, he's going after that wolf, he's gonna beat that thing right on the head to protect the sheep. And he's got a crook because if the sheep starts to wander off, he gently takes the crook, puts it over the little lamb, come on back, honey. You know, don't do that dumb thing. (laughs) Get back over here. That's what he does. It's not, right, or coming after you with a club. He doesn't come after his sheep with clubs, he comes after wolves with clubs. His heart is a heart of a father who loves his kids. And so here's the application, God is the good shepherd. And listen, as long as you and I stay close to him, he's gonna protect us with that club. But if we decide, it's a choice, to start to wander off away from the Lord or away from the flock, what are we doing? We're making ourselves vulnerable. And in the scriptures, we're gonna see this in 2 Peter when we get to it in a couple weeks, the wolves are false teachers and false teachings. And so we gotta stay close to the shepherd. Verse five, he says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And so the next concept we see is care, but I wanna submit to you, it's not just care, it's care in the midst of conflict. Did you see that, by the way? Listen to this. You, good shepherd, you prepare a table, banquet, feast, 
you prepare a table for me in the presence of my who? Enemies. Did you guys know as long as we live in a fallen world, we're always gonna have enemies? Did you guys know that if you're like me and you wanna be liked by everybody, that that is an unrealistic expectation and we need to just drop that? We're always gonna have enemies. We're always gonna have people who don't like us, people who come against us, people who talk about us behind our backs, people who want us to see us fail. There's always gonna be people like that in our lives, this side of the grave. What we should do, instead of wanting to be liked by everybody, we should just accept the fact that God is good and he's gonna prepare me a table in the presence of my enemies. And I can feast because Christ lives in me. I can have a continual feast, spiritually speaking, with the Lord, even in the presence of my enemies. I'm not gonna deal with them. I'm gonna let the Lord deal with them, but God is good. That's what the Lord wants us to see in this psalm. And also blessings at the end of verse five, because at the end of verse five, he says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And so as we're sitting at that table, again, are you getting the heart of the shepherd towards you? You say, you know, he's mad at me. He's angry at me. He doesn't want anything to do with me. I just keep sinning. You're missing everything. Did you know that he loves you as much when you're stuck in that crevice as when you're hopping around? He loves you, you gotta accept that fact. And as you sit at the table, he anoints your head with oil and he causes your cup to overflow. That's abundant blessings. But that's not the heart of the enemy that we're gonna talk about next week. That devil who, ro- who roams about like a roaring lion. Jesus said in John 10:10, 10, 10, the thief comes not but to steal, kill, and destroy. But then he says, but I have come that they may have life and life more, help me out, abundantly. What does that mean? We don't have to wait for heaven to experience abundant life. We can experience it right now. That's the heart of the shepherd towards us right now. Why? Because the kingdom of God is in you. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And again, we can have that continual feast with the Lord. But it's all contingent on whether the Lord is your shepherd and if you're passionately pursuing him as David did in his life. Last verse, verse six. Surely, doesn't say surely, by the way, but surely. I say that because I heard this week of a little girl um, who thought that surely and goodness and mercy were angels that followed her all the days of her life. That was sweet. Um, But it, it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. I looked up the word mercy, surely goodness and mercy. In the Hebrew, it's loving kindness, has said. And so loving kindness and I would submit to you eternal fellowship because we're gonna dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever, all right? And so this reminded me of Romans 2.4 in the New Covenant. It's the kindness of God that's supposed to lead us to repentance. And when we turn to Christ in repentance and faith, the Spirit of God comes in, Ephesians 1.14, who guarantees our eternal inheritance And we can say with David, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
I want you to hear, because some of you guys are still scared that you're gonna lose your salvation. I want you to hear the words of the Good Shepherd in John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man snatch them from my hand. And so David writes Psalm 23 around 1000 BC. Jesus comes along in AD around 32, and he says, I am the good shepherd. I believe that Jesus had Psalm 23 in his mind when he said what he said in John 10. You know how I know that? Because Jesus Christ didn't just exist in the New Testament, and he didn't just exist in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is the eternal word of God. The second person of the Trinity, the incarnate son of God, he's always been, and he is absolutely the, the Lord, the good shepherd of Psalm 23, and again, here's the main idea, he wants to shepherd you, he wants to lead you, he wants to fill you, why? So that when someone comes to you because you've been blessed, now you can be a blessing, you, you're filled up, you can be a blessing to others. I said all that to just kinda you know, set the groundwork for the next five minutes as we tackle the first four verses in 1 Peter 5. And so let's go there and we'll wrap it up today. 1 Peter 5, starting in verse one. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that's gonna be revealed. And you guys shout out the first word in verse two. Shepherd. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, not because you have to, but willingly, because you get to, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, shouldn't be in it for the money, Love of money is the root of all kind of evil, no, but eagerly. Verse three, not domineering over those in your charge, not lording your authority over people, no, you're a servant leader, being examples to the flock. Verse four, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so in the New Testament, we see three terms that are used interchangeably for the leaders in the church. Elder, pastor, and overseer. Now the Blue Letter Bible, which is a great resource for you biblically, defines those Greek words in this way. Elder, that's those who presided over the assemblies or churches. Bishop, that's the King James Version, um, the modern day versions, it's overseer. Uh, oversight, the overseer or presiding officers of a Christian church, and then pastor, different Greek word, a shepherd, the overseers of the Christian assemblies. Now I want you to notice how similar those three definitions of the Greek words are. And they're similar because they're three terms that describe one calling. Chuck Swindoll, I read them every week. In the New Testament, period, however, elder, pastor, 
and overseer were all one calling with the same responsibility to do what for the flock? To shepherd the flock. And they're used interchangeably in the New Testament. I'll give you an example. Um, Paul decides to have a pastor's conference. And so from Miletus, Paul sends to Ephesus, he calls for the elders, see that Greek word? Of the church, come to this pastor's conference. They come to him and in Acts 20, verse 28, he's addressing the elders and he says, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you, here's that other Greek word, overseers. Two, here's the third Greek word, shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his blood. And so the elders came and they were exhorted to give oversight and shepherd the churches. What are you saying, Pastor? What I'm saying is in Acts 20, you see the office of elder. In 1 Peter 3, 2, you see the office of overseer. And in Ephesians 4, 11, you see the office of pastor. Three terms used interchangeably in the New Testament, and it describes one calling. And so, by the way, we like in this church pastors and elders, we like that term. And so please don't call me Bishop Mike, I really appreciate that, all right. And so Peter, Peter exhorted these leaders in verse two, he said shepherd the flock. I like the King James on this one. The King James says feed, feed the flock. And it reminds me of what Jesus said to Peter. He said, Pete, Pastor Pete, feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. This is what pastors are supposed to do. And so what are we supposed to feed the flock, right? Chick-fil-A, five guys, anybody hungry? Casa amigos? No. Peter and Jesus told us. Peter said, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the what? that you may grow thereby. And Jesus said, I already quoted it, man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? That proceeds from the mouth of God. And so the pastors are to feed the flock of God, the word of God, because the word of God is our spiritual milk and meat, and we should long for it like sheep long for green pastures. It's so sad to me. For some reason, in modern day times, pastors have stopped teaching, so many of them have stopped teaching the word of God. And instead of their messages being dominated by the word, they're dominated by personal story after personal story after personal story, or psychology, or philosophy, or politics, or prosperity teaching. Instead of being dominated by the word, but they have a few verses that they throw in, right? And so it's dominated by all this other stuff, but there's just a few verses thrown in so that people don't feel too uncomfortable. But because there's a lack of spiritual meat and milk going out, God's flock is undernourished and God's flock is weak, anemic sheep. And so Chuck Smith, who founded the Calvary Chapel movement, who's now with the Lord in heaven, he had this famous saying. He said, well-fed sheep naturally reproduce. Just feed the sheep. And what did he do? He influenced and impacted by the Holy Spirit's um, 
anointing on this guy's life, thousands of pastors to just do what I do, just go verse by verse. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, it is not my job to wow you. It is not my job to put on a production. It is not my job to put on a big show or come up with these pithy statements. It's my job to open up the Bible and just go verse by verse and feed the flock of God the word of God. That's what I've been called to do. So yeah, we refer to the truth found in philosophy or psychology, Paul did that. But those things are referred to, they don't replace the word of God. Now what's gonna happen if a pastor or elder faithfully shepherds the flock entrusted to him? Last verse, and when, verse four, when, not if, when the chief shepherd appears, you will, receive the unfading crown of glory. And so someday Christ will come. And pardon the bad English, but all y'all are going to the judgment seat of Christ. Not just pastors, all of you, all of us. And if we've been faithful to the Lord, we're gonna receive rewards and crowns. But if we haven't been faithful, We're gonna suffer loss. Christians, pastor? Yes, hear me. Christians will suffer loss at the judgment seat of Christ if you've not been faithful to the Lord to do what he's called you to do. That's 1 Corinthians chapter three. And so the crown that pastors are gonna get is called the unfading crown of glory in verse four, but I don't want you to confuse salvation with rewards. And so Charles Ryrie, he said this, He said, salvation is a free gift, but rewards for those who are saved, they're earned. Rewards are often spoken of as what? Crowns. Here's the biblical passage that backs up that statement. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and we we as evangelicals often leave out verse 10. I'll quote all three. If you're listening to me, say amen, this is it. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that's not of yourselves, it is a gift from God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But here's verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. We're not saved by works, we're saved for works. If you and I are faithful, to do those works, we're gonna have crowns. Can you imagine? Crowns to cast at his feet. But if we're unfaithful, we're gonna suffer loss. We're not gonna get those crowns. My encouragement to you guys, be like David. Passionately pursue the good shepherd. He'll tell you what the works are that he prepared beforehand for you to walk in. He'll let you know, it'll be so clear. Do those works and we'll see at the judgment seat of Christ, hopefully all of us with some smiles on our faces, amen.